So our church, uh, The Vineyard, we belong to a family of churches called The Vineyard Movement, and The Vineyard Movement has been around since the the very beginning of the 80s, and there are, I don't know, there's roughly around 3,000 vineyard churches kind of all over the world, and in the U.S. there's like 580 or so, Um, but we're part of this family, and you know, there's a couple of things that the vineyard's historically known for. Uh, One of them is that back in the 80s, uh, the Vineyard Movement and Calvary Chapel were kind of like on the forefront of writing music that was contemporary. They used drums and guitars, which at that time was kind of controversial. Can you imagine that? And uh, so they were, they were known for that. In fact, all the, like, the really well-known worship albums from back in the 80s and 90s were mostly put out by the Vineyard. And then we're known for planting churches. And then I think one of the things that were, was most influential about the Vineyard Movement early on was that it was this attempt to try to integrate two theological traditions, the charismatic tradition along with the evangelical tradition. So like the way that looks is there was an attempt to try to, hey, we want to take the Bible seriously and we want to take the work of the Holy Spirit seriously. And so that's kind of what we've done and we try to blend that. But one of our founders uh, was a man by the name of John Wimber. And some of you have heard of John Wimber. We talk about him from time to time. Uh, John was this really influential uh, church leader. In fact, his story is really, really fascinating. He actually started out as a musician. He was a part of the Righteous Brothers and, uh, and then uh, was super involved in music and got involved in drugs and alcohol and all that type of stuff and was, had zero church background whatsoever. In fact, his biography is really fascinating to, to listen to or to read um, because when he came to church, he was just so weirded out by all the things that we do. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, the story is just really funny. But he became, so he came to faith, and after he came to faith, he, he started, you know, a number of years later, uh, you know, he became a pastor on staff, but he was like always sharing his faith, and just a really, really dynamic leader, became a church consultant, an author, and, uh, and then went on to found the Vineyard Movement. And there's this really interesting story that, uh, that he tells, though, and uh, he, so at the time, he was traveling around the world speaking at conferences, and that was kind of like his, his deal. Uh, he was doing consulting for all these big churches, trying to help them to become more outreach-orientated and figure out how to like, um, reach, reach people in today's uh, world. And so he was in New York, and he was catching a cab, and he jumped in this cab. And just out of curiosity, any of you ever been to New York and ever taken a cab? It's quite the cross-cultural experience. And, uh, and so he's in this cab, and he's driving with a New Yorker, though. And they were driving, and this bus cut him off. And it had all this Korean writing on it, and it, and it just kind of got in front of him. And the, the taxi driver started screaming and cussing and, and just, you know, going crazy. And John Wimber was like, hey, do you know that that, that bus is a Korean church bus? And then the taxi driver launched into a really long and extensive uh, reason as to why the church was terrible and Christians were the worst and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he just got really super angry. And so at the end of it, you know, John was just kind of listening and he got out of the taxi and he, he opened his door and got out and was about to hand the fare over. Uh, and he, you know, he had the money and he reached out to give it to him. And the taxi cab guy dr- grabbed it and then John held onto it for a minute and said, hey, if you were to go to a church, what kind of church would you go to? And the taxi cab driver sat there for a minute, and he thought, and he said, you know what, I would go to a church that would help people if it was actually uh, forgiving, if it was patient, if it was 
open to all people, and if it was welcoming, and if it wasn't hypocritical or judgmental, that's the kind of church I would go to. And then he grabbed the money and took off. And, our, and John, John's story is that he, at that moment, was like, even the world knows what the church is supposed to be. Even the world knows what the church is supposed to be. And, you know, we're going to come back to that theme in a few minutes here. But today, as we said, we're starting, we're starting Advent. And I love Advent. Advent is one of my favorite Christian holidays, uh, seasons. I love the whole emphasis on the incarnation, that Jesus, God, became human being, became, uh, became a human. And so today we're going to read a passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture on Christmas. And then we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump in today's message. So let's read from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. We read these words. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And Father, as we spend a few moments here thinking about what this text of Scripture means and how it applies to our lives. We pray and we ask for your Spirit to guide us, to convict us, to encourage us, to give us hope, and to help us to live in the reality of Jesus and His kingdom. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I think that question is really good, though. Why does the church exist? It's, it's a question that I feel like I've been, you know, meditating on for most of my life, as I've been in church pretty much all my life and have been through the ups and the downs, and I have all the horror stories. I feel like church is one of those topics that is um, really easy to have a variety of different opinions, because some people would say that the church is a great, safe place, a community of supporting, loving friends, and then other people have had really bad experiences in church and therefore have negative assumptions and thoughts about what the church is. Um, and, and, but that question's always been really important to me. And when we first moved here, um, you know, Don and I and, and leaders in, in our church, we spent a lot of time praying and thinking about that question. What is, what is our purpose here in, in Red Bluff? And we spent a lot of time talking about it, and we came to the conclusion that the vineyard, our mission should be God's mission. It was very obvious to us that we could spend a lot of time thinking of a really mar cool marketing slogan and have some kind of special thing, but at the end of the day, what our job was was to do what God wanted us to do. And so what we did is we prayed and we read and we, we studied Scripture and we came to the conclusion that our mission is to know Jesus and to make Him known. That was who we were and that was what we were supposed to be 
committed to. And you see that all throughout Scripture. In fact, if you spend time reading from Genesis to Revelation, you see that God is eager to be known and that he's eager for us to help other people know him. That's pretty much what the Bible consistently communicates. And there's enough of you in this room uh, this morning that are, you know, somewhat new, um, maybe to the vineyard and maybe new to our church. And and I just want to say, um, we're so glad that you're here. I am delighted that there's new people every single week. Um, and I love seeing people, first of all, come to faith in Jesus. That's awesome. And then secondly, seeing people reconnect with God who maybe have been disconnected from God for a while. That's just really encouraging. Amen? Like, it's good. Yeah, we like those things. Um, but enough of you maybe are new that you might not like kind of know a lot about our story as a church. And and I wanted to spend some time just sharing a little bit of our church's story with you, and, and I want to tie this all together, um, but kind of like what led up to this moment. And so our church, this, this Vineyard Church, um, was started nearly 30 years ago by a couple named Steve and Maxine Nagarda. And some of you uh, were part of their church. In fact, if you were, put your hand up. Just let us see. See some of you. Yeah, so some of you can, you can connect with that. And Steve and Maxine were faithful here, and, and uh, they started this church, and they, you know, moved around from building to building. There's like five different buildings in our church, a story, and it's really kind of cool. And, and they were here, and, and, you know, church is one of those things that has its ups and downs, right? Everybody agree? Ups and downs. It's just like family life. Ups and downs. And our church has had, uh, over that course of that time, the church had, had at times was, was, was larger, and then it would go through seasons of decline, and it was kind of like always just a normal church. And and so about uh, nine years ago, Don and I were pastoring a church in Wisconsin, and we started to sense that the Holy Spirit was calling us to transition out of the church we had been to that we thought we would be at forever. And um, and so we spent about a year praying and discerning, and, and then we had some relationships with some vineyard folks out here in the, on the West Coast that said, hey, have you thought about Red Bluff? And as many of you know, I had never heard about Red Bluff. The only thing I knew about Red Bluff was what came up on Wikipedia, and it was a really terrible story about a girl in a box. And we were like, we are not going there. <laughs> it's like, no thank you, right? And uh, why are you laughing? It's a terrible story. It's like the worst. Uh, but I looked, and, I, and I, I was like, okay, it's agricultural. We were pastoring in this community of 1,200 people. We were used to dairy farming and hay farming and all that. We're like, kind of get the vibe of what an agricultural community is like. And, and so we spent time praying, and we came out. Eight years ago, we came out in December, and it was, it was rainy, and uh, we came out, and we met a lot of, uh, a lot of people in our community. We drove around the community. Steve and Maxine drove us around, and we we absolutely fell in love with Red Bluff. Like, it was one trip, we were like, we're in. And it was on Saturday morning. We hadn't even come to church yet. And I remember Saturday morning, Donna and I woke up like at 5 o'clock in the morning because we were on Central Time. And, and she asked me what I thought, and I asked what she thought. We both started crying because we knew that God was calling us to move to Red Bluff. And so um, nearly eight years ago, we, we moved here. And and what happened is when we got here, you know, the church grew pretty quickly. We had a lot of new young families coming, and rather quickly, it, it seemed like there were a lot of people who were making the vineyard their home um, that had been either disenfranchised or disconnected from church or who didn't have church backgrounds at all. I feel like our church community, we generally are pretty good about, we want to welcome all people. We say, come as you are, and we actually mean it. Amen? Um, but we also want to say, don't stay that way. <laughs> 
right? That's the part, that's the tagline that we don't always emphasize, but that's what God does. God changes us as we enter into community. And so we had lots of people from all different backgrounds coming, and, and we still do, and that's one of the things I love about pastoring. But what I noticed is that there were, there were a, a number of people who, who started coming who had gone through some really rough situations in their life. Like, I'd have coffee, and I still have coffee with people who tell me their story, and their t- stories are just full of tragedies and, and, and things that have been done to them or things that have happened because of, of where they were at. You know, they don't, you don't choose your family, right? But those, those things that happen to us oftentimes are the result of being in the communities or the systems that we're a part of. And so we would hear these stories, and it was, you know, overwhelming. And we also uh, have always had people who, who come who... Are, are stuck, you know, whether it's they're, they're having addiction issues or substance abuse issues or relational issues or habits, these things, these hang-ups, these, these hurts and pains are all like just integrated into our community. And so like we have a really diverse um, community here. And, and we started seeing that right away. And I remember having conversations with people um, who were going through those things. You have to understand our previous church experience in Wisconsin uh, we lived in a community of 1,200 people, okay? Everybody knew each other, and it got to be 150 below zero in the winter. So guess how large our homeless community was? There was no one, right? It, just, it was just a totally different context. And so when we came here, we were trying to navigate how can we serve our community? How can we reach people? And people had really unique situations that they were, they were working through. You know, there were also the issues of depression and anxiety and, and, and just all this stuff uh, that, that are part of life. And like one challenge I can think of that um, is really challenging if you haven't been in it is like blending together families, right? Bringing two families together can be a real challenge to figure out how do you, how do you parent in that? How do, you, how do you remain married in that type of environment? And so, um, so it's always been something that we've been thinking about and praying about and and in my opinion, being able to serve all people is an important part of who we are as a church. And, and that requires that we understand our church's mission. If we want to serve all people, we have to understand that and be committed to the reason why we exist. So when we say, why does our church exist? We say it's to know Jesus and to make Jesus known, right? But there's something about the church that I think that we need to really understand the church is the only organization in the world that exists for the sake of its non-members. Think about that for a minute. Most organizations exist solely for the purpose of their members, right? That's how, that's how organizations function. But the church is uniquely called and designed by God to exist for its non-members. And it's not, what I'm not saying is that we don't care for the members, right? We, we want to do that. But we, we exist for the intent purpose of reaching the outside world. That's why our church exists. And that's why we've said for eight plus years, and I think before we were here, Steve and Maxine would also say that we want to lean towards outward expression. We want to lean towards outward mission. We want to reach people for Jesus because there's nothing greater than seeing people come to faith in Jesus. Amen? why we exist. And so these are things that drive us. And, and I think about like recently, a few months ago, we started this grief support group 
You know, and, and Paula has done an amazing job of, of wanting to reach people who are processing these emotions and feelings that they're, they're going through from losses or experience they've had, and, and that's one of the ways that we can do that. So the crazy thing about church world, though, and that's what I kind of feel like church is, it's this unique sociological cultural community full of crazy people and non-crazy people, and you need to figure out which one of you is crazy and which one of you are not, okay? But it's, it's, it's diverse. It's all that. Why? Because it's just a big community of people from all different backgrounds and, and, and experiences. And, but there's a lot of people that have this idea that, that God cannot be connected to sin. He can't be around sin. And so, you know, because they are sinners and they've, they've gone through situations in life and maybe they've made some really poor decisions and they've got stuck into these systems and cycles of, of abuse and, and, and uh, addictions that they can't connect with God. And so they carry this shame around them. But what I love about the Christmas story, what I love about Advent is that Advent and the Christmas story reminds us that there is hope, that there is hope, that Jesus was willing to leave heaven and enter into our story and get his hands dirty. I love that about the Christmas story. It's one of the most powerful stories we can, we can read, and that's why Advent is so important for us. And so if you're addicted to drugs, or if you are, are abusing alcohol, or if you're addicted to pornography, or if you're in this system or the cycle where you have all this emotional and mental uh, trauma, the good news is that Jesus actually came to this world to have a relationship with you. And it's one of the most beautiful things that we can lean into as, as a church. And I want you to look at this John 1 again, this passage. There's just a couple of verses in this, in this beautiful passage. And the first few verses is a poetry. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Or in the beginning, the word was created, or wasn't created, but was, was, was um, with God, right? There's this beautiful poem in that passage. And, and then it goes on to clarify a few things about Jesus' purpose that I think are really important for us to see. And so we read that the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. And then it goes on to say that he came to his own people. Jesus was born a Jewish man and came to Jewish people, but they, wouldn't, they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. I mean, an absolutely beautiful picture of the gospel. And there's a number of things that I think we need to really kind of pull out of this. And the first one is this, that Jesus came to give light to everyone. Now, does anybody know what the Greek word for everyone is? No, of course not. It's useless information. But does anybody know what the Greek word for everyone means? That's the important word. It means everyone. Okay? Jesus came to give light to everyone. Everyone. And, and that's a word that we need to understand because the, 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 the word everyone includes everyone. Everyone, right? It's, it's inclusive to people who have, have hurts and hang-ups and 
bad habits, right? It, it's inclusive of people who have been stuck. It's inclusive of people who have, who have made really poor decisions and, and are unsure of how to get out of those poor decisions. And can I just point out that there's not a single person in this room who has not made a poor decision in their life, right? Anybody willing to acknowledge that they've made some poor decisions, right? I mean, all of us have. That's the whole point is that Jesus came to enter into our stories, to help us through those things. So Jesus came to give light to everyone, and Jesus is familiar with rejection. That's part of the story that I find so fascinating, is that Jesus went through so many challenges. He was, he was rejected by his own people. He wasn't recognized for who he actually was. In fact, the writer of Hebrews fleshes this out in Hebrews 4 by writing this. He says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Let us hold firmly to the Christian faith because our Savior, Jesus, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of, his gra of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I mean, so think about that. Jesus has faced every single thing, every single testing, every single challenge that human beings go through. Generally speaking, he went through them, yet he didn't sin. So why would we not go to him for help? Because he can, he can, he can understand what we go through, right? And so this is an important part of the Advent story, I think, is because Jesus came to give light to everyone, but he's familiar with rejection. Oftentimes, the reason why we get stuck in cycles or we begin to, to experience pain or hurts or trauma or the reason why we get these hang-ups in our life or the, the reason why we, we have these, these harmful habits is because of the things that we go through like rejection, right? I mean, all of us have that story. And so we experience those things and it's easy to make a poor decision and then to get locked into it and then you're stuck. Everybody in here at least one time has probably felt stuck. You get stuck, and the good news is that Jesus came to give us hope so that we can get unstuck. That's the whole point of the gospel story. And then we also need to see that in this passage, everyone can experience new birth and have a second chance, and I do love that it's everybody. Everybody can have a second chance. Everybody can get unstuck, so to speak. And then finally, Jesus wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty, as I mentioned. He left heaven, and he came to earth, one of the translations that, that I, I think is interesting about John 1.14, because our translations say, and the word became flesh and dwelt for a while among us. But one translation says that, and the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And the whole idea is that Jesus, he, he entered into our world with all the dirtiness and the messiness that was around, and he, he entered into our story so he could be present for us. And it's really a beautiful part of the Christmas story. So a number of years ago, um, I met this, uh, so I first started pastoring in, in Wisconsin, and our, our kind of story of how we got into pastoring is kind of funny because, like, it wasn't our goal or our intention, <laughs> you know? Like, I think Don and I both grew up in church, and we had all this trauma from that experience, and we were like, man, I love Jesus, but I am not into the church. The church is just a bunch of hypocritical, religious, judgmental you know, goody-two-shoe type people. 
And, you know, we're, we just don't want to be connected to that. And so I was like working through that in my heart and Don was working through it in her heart. And we both had only, I mean, it's like a lot of our pastors that we had when we were growing up, like had moral failures. And we were like, geez, man, like the people who are supposed to be like serving and helping us. And, and they're like, they're like doing all these things that are wrong. And so we were just a mess. And and so I had started going to, to seminary, though, because I've always liked the Bible, and I've always liked theology. And so I was working through that, and I was like, all right, I'm never going to work for a church. It's a terrible idea, but maybe I will, I'll work at a seminary or something like that, and I can teach pastors and try to help them not be morons, okay? Then <laughs> I just became a moron myself, so whatever. But So we're, like, navigating all that, and, and then we met this pastor, and, and he was different. He, he was from the East Coast. He was the most, he had the most annoying accent I've ever heard in my life and was like really rude because he's from Pittsburgh. No offense if you're from Pittsburgh, but y'all are different, okay? And he was like not super friendly, and, but he was pastoring this church in Wisconsin, and we, we met him, and we just fell in love with him. There was just something about him. We're like, man, I like this guy. He's the real deal. He's, he's real. And we started hanging out with him, and he, he's like, hey, you know, you're, you're studying theology, you know, why don't you speak for me one Sunday? And we were like, oh, you know, okay, I guess we can do that. And, and so we spoke on a Sunday, and then he had us just start helping out here and, and there. And, and then what happened for us is we, we were meeting with him one time, and I was complaining to him because what had happened is, so my wife, Don and I were going to this other church uh, on, uh, as well, and we were helping out there a little bit, and we would start these small groups, and these small groups would start, they would start out with like 10 people, and then by week four or five, we'd have like 70 people at our, at our house. And so our pastor was like, you should start a church, and I was like, I don't like the church. There's no way it's going to happen. And so I was complaining to this other pastor, my friend Jim. I was like, man, all these stupid people are calling me their pastor all the time, and it's terrible. And he's like, well, Luke, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. And I didn't even get it. I was like, ducks? What does that have to do with church? And I went out in my car and then started crying and bawling my eyes out because I knew he had just said I was a pastor. And I was like, no, end of my life. And like six months later, he leaves that church and recommends to the board that we step in on an interim basis and pastor this church for a while. And then we stayed there for 12 years. And that's how we got into it. We got, I feel like we got tricked, you know? It's like, that, it was a trick. It was a trick. But when I first started pastoring, we were 26 years old. I mean, it was like, the, it was so bad. Don't I look back at that and go, what were, they were so desperate, you know? Because I was like fresh out of seminary and like, my first act of pastoral care was I had this couple who were in their 90s, and they're like, Luke, we would like to meet with you. And I was like, all right, Wednesday night, we'll meet before our Bible study, and we sit down. And, and this woman, this, this 90-year-old woman, had just happened to be one of my teachers when I was in high school. I went to this Christian school, and she sits down, and she just looks at me, and she's like, we hate each other. We need some help. <laughs> and I was just like, what? You know, like, you hate each other, but you're like... You're a hundred. How is it possible to hate? <laughs> and then I'm like, okay. And they're like telling me about how all their problems. And I was like, so naive. I was just like, well, if you guys will read the book of Proverbs together, it'll fix everything. Bye. And uh, so it was like, like 26 years old. We have no business being uh, pastors or at least senior pastors at that time. And, uh, but we, we, start, we start working with the youth, and there was this lady that went to our church, and, 
And uh, she had a couple, couple kids, and one of the kids was, was a 16-year-old girl, a young lady. And, and the 16-year-old girl um, would go to youth group, and she started bringing this friend of hers named Mary. And Mary was, um, was a really rough, rough, rough individual. She was 16 years old. I had never heard her say a sentence without at least four cuss words in it. And, you know, she had probably been smoking cigarettes since she was like seven or eight, and could apparently drink with the best of them. And she had just a really, that was like her family origin story, though. Her, her parents had just had this culture where all that stuff was encouraged and allowed. And, and she, was, she, she was 16 years old. She came, she had no church background whatsoever. She was just kind of like, this stuff is, is a fairy tale. But she came every single Wednesday night to this youth group we had. And we, she would sit in this Bible study, and I would leave this Bible study, and she would basically poke fun of everything I said, and would ask question after question, and we would do our best to answer those questions, but it was like constantly like this, this dialogue. And, um, and then so when she graduated, she turned 18, she just like, we didn't see her for about, about two years. And then, um, so I'd known her for about maybe two and a half years, she came to church, youth group stuff. Um, but then two years later, she shows up in my office one day, and She's like jittery and had lost a ton of weight. And she's like, hey, I, I need to meet with you. And I was like, all right, let's, let's talk. And, and then she basically told, her, told me her whole story. And it was just full of trauma and just terrible, terrible things that she had gone through. And uh, I remember when I was listening to her, it was so overwhelming because I hadn't at that point in time heard anything that, that terrible. And I was like, okay, you know, and then she says, and um, I have been, I'm, I need to get clean. I've been addicted to meth now for about two years, and I, it's going to kill me. And so, um, you know, we, we ended up, you know, like I was like, oh my gosh, we'll, we'll do whatever we can to help you. And, and I spent like a whole day calling all these different, um, we had a really good connection to this organization called Teen Challenge. Some of you have heard of Teen Challenge, but like we can try to connect you with Teen Challenge, and we got her accepted into, into this program, and she was trying to, you know, get unstuck. And, and then, uh, you know, we kind of lost contact because she had moved away and, and, you know, didn't hear from her. And then about a year and a half later, I got a phone call from her friend, and she said, hey, did you hear about Mary? And I was like, no, I hadn't heard about Mary. And Mary evidently had gotten in her car one night and had relapsed and was driving around and she had gotten high again and she ended up, you know, hitting a tree and went off the road and she died. And, and I remember that moment like just being absolutely undone, broken, because it's like there's this girl who, who just needed help. She just needed help. And, and, and the question was, would the church be there for her throughout that whole process, even though it was messy and really challenging and difficult? But like it always, stories like that always remind us as to why we exist. Why do we exist? We exist to help people like Mary. Amen? That's the whole point. And, you know, it's easy to get up here and tell you all these really cool stories of like transformation and success, you know? Because those are awesome, right? I mean, they, they, they're awesome. It's so good when we're like, so-and-so was selling crack and stealing cars. In fact, they were stealing our cars during church, and now they're a Christian. You know, like those stories are great. But they don't always end that way, do they? They don't. That's, that's real life. And here's the question. 
is, is the church going to continue to offer hope to people even when things aren't going great? Yes. And that's what Christmas reminds us. Advent is an is a invitation for us to continue to point to the light of the world. Because I can tell you right now, there's only one person who has ever existed who can truly free people from every one of their hang-ups, their harmful habits, or, or free them and heal them from all the hurts that they've had. And it's Jesus. I believe that with all of my heart. Let's stand up together. So I, I kind of was sharing a little bit about our story as a church for this reason. So we've been here for eight years. And for, for about eight years, for about eight years, we've had people come in and out, in and out. And, and you, some people move, some people transition, some people disconnect. But we've always had a steady stream of normal people. And what I mean by normal is people who are just like me, who are broken and need God's grace and mercy and help. Okay. And so it's been on our heart for, for over, over seven and a half years that God would, would help our church have some type of a ministry that could help people who are maybe a little bit more stuck than other people. And so we've, we've had, I mean, I, I have been literally in, in so many meetings with people over the last, you know, seven years where it's like, hey, we need to start something. We need to have some type of a way to help people who, are, who, are, who can't help themselves. And, and so we'd have these conversations, and someone would express a little bit of interest, and then it would kind of go away. But this, earlier this year, we, we had this total God provision thing happen here at our church, is that God brought um, two people into our church community, and, and John and Jody have, have shared a couple weeks ago about having this passion to start Celebrate Recovery. And Celebrate Recovery is this ministry, it's a Christ-centered ministry that's focused on healing people, helping people experience healing from their hurts and their hang-ups and their habits. And it's totally an answer for prayer for me, just so you know. Like, I'm like, hallelujah, amen, because sometimes you have to pray that God brings the things in, right? Because it's just, it wasn't here. And so God brought some, a couple here. And so we're starting this ministry in January, and, and we're hoping that we can help bring freedom from all of those things to people who are stuck. And so there's two groups of people here this morning, okay? There's people in this room who are stuck. Some of you in this room, you have hurts, you have hang-ups, and you have, you have harmful habits that you're, you're participating in, and you, you know it, and you're stuck, and you want to know how you can get out, get out of it. And I can tell you right now, Jesus is the only way. It's Jesus. And so maybe you need help figuring out how to live out the Jesus life. And that's why we are here, and that's why Celebrate Recovery is going to be here starting in January. But there's also people in this room, you have victorious stories. Your story is, I mean, I meet people all the time, and I'm like talking to them, they're like, oh, I've got 25 years of recovery. And I'm like, that's amazing. You, you, you have a story, and you can contribute to help other people get freed from those, those things that have kept them down. And so what we're asking everybody in our church community to do over the course of this time is to pray about how you can be connected in some way, shape, or form. Maybe you just pray for this ministry, but maybe you could serve in it too. And if you are willing to do that, we want to let you know that there's, there's a space for that. But we're going to take a moment right now and pray for that first group. If you're in this room right now and you, 
you feel stuck, you know you're stuck, you've been stuck for a long time and you are, you're not sure how to get out of it. We want to pray for you this morning. And so we ask for you, Holy Spirit, to come right now. Okay, also, um, sorry, my voice is all yucky. Um, Maybe you're even struggling with feeling rejected, and that's a form of, you know, you're feeling stuck, too. Like, how do you get rid of that in your life? Like Luke was saying, Jesus is the only way. You know, maybe you're not feeling, like, worthy of having a relationship with Jesus, but he, he loves all of us. He wants, he craves relationships with us. So if you're feeling... Um, like someone has rejected you or you're feeling rejected, um, God can bring that peace to you. Yeah. So um, here's what I want to just do, just for a few minutes here. And, you know, I want to respect everybody's time and whatnot too, but I, I actually think that the, the Spirit is present right now. I, I sense the Holy Spirit's presence in the room right now. And, and I think that the Spirit really is wanting to touch some people's lives today. Um, and so one of the ways that God does that is through prayer. And I think it's so important that we have a high value for prayer. And I know it's always a little awkward receiving prayer or you know, being willing to get prayer because we feel like everybody's looking at us. Um, but I feel fairly confident about our church community that I, I've been here for almost eight years and I've never heard anybody ever say anything that made me feel like someone was getting judged. Like, oh, did you see so-and-so up there? Never in, in my entire life. And if I did, you know, we would have a long conversation about the church being a safe place. And so I think that God wants to, to move and minister in this room right now. And so if you're here this morning and anything I talked about this morning connects with you at all and you would like to receive prayer, you want God to enter into your story and to touch your life and help free you or empower you, we're going to invite you to come forward right now. We're just going to take a few minutes to pray for you. So is there anybody that would like prayer this morning that feels stuck? Anybody who feels like they've, they've, they've been unable to move forward from any of the things that they've been going through in life? Uh, feeling stuck is also even when you're trying to overcome a weakness or a cycle. We go through weaknesses and cycles. We're human. If, if that's a struggle too, we can pray for you. So yeah, come Holy Spirit.
I just, I, I, Lord, I know that there's others, others in this room right now who are, are so stuck they are unable to even move forward and to receive prayer. And so, uh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you break that and that you give them freedom right now to receive grace from you today. So let me tell you that right now, I know there's a couple of you right now that you're like, oh, I want to go forward. I know I, I want to receive prayer today, and you're just, it's like you're unable to move. Um, what I love about Scripture is it teaches this, this very clear principle of that God gives grace to the humble. And there's a lot of humility coming forward. I totally get that. We feel like we're the center. We feel like everybody's honest. But I'm telling you right now that I've never gone forward for prayer ever and didn't have God meet me there. And so if you are stuck, if, you're, if you need grace this morning, we want you to feel like you can get prayer right now. And then um, there's a, another, a few of you in this room that you, like you have somebody in your heart that's on your heart right now. And what I love is that sometimes we have to stand in the gap for other people. Amen? Amen. Like we, we have to actually like say, I'll take that prayer and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that for my friend. So if you want to stand in the gap for someone because you have somebody who's close to you, that you want to receive prayer for, we're going to pray for you as well and pray for those needs that you have. And so I'm also going to just mention, um, just really quickly if we could, if any of our leadership team folks could come forward and help us with prayer, we would love to, to spend some time praying. We could use a couple more people up here to pray for a minute. All right, so Holy Spirit, we, we pray now uh, for each one of these individuals, God. We pray, Father, for freedom. We pray for healing right now in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, for freedom from anxiety right now in the name of Jesus, that you would remove anxiety from, Lord, this room. Um, you would also, Lord, for those who maybe have struggled with uh, anxiety for a long time, God, would you um, help them to learn how to manage it and to overcome it in the name of Jesus? Father, uh, we ask for your guidance now too, God. Holy Spirit, we, we thank you for this time that we've had to be together as a church community too. 
Would you continue to help us as a church to carry out our mission? Would you help us to be a community that's welcoming of all people and that points all people to Jesus and the transformative work of the Holy Spirit? Would you go with each one of us as we transition from this gathering into into the world around us, God? Help us to be effective in our witness and effective in how we help other people come to know you more, Lord. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.